and welcome to Everybody Loves Communism, the leftist history and theory podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to, but you still should. Sorry, we lied to you just now. Read um, it. Yeah. Uh, I'm Jamie Peck. I'm Jorge Rocha. And we have a very special announcement. Oh my God. A little bit of housekeeping <laughs> before we get into it. Um, as some of you know, I started this podcast with my friend Aaron Thorpe, who you may know from the Trillbilly Workers Party, Struggle Session, or his other podcast, The Time of Monsters. But then he had to go deal with some shit. So I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? Then I rebooted it with my pal Jorge right here. What's uh, up? But yeah, but then some time has passed and some shit has been dealt with. And mm -hmm. now... Drum roll. Aaron's back. That's right. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. And uh, I'm happy to be back. I had to take some time off because, uh, you know, man, it's like COVID times and uh, we're all going through a lot of personal shit. So I had to take some time to work on me, which I don't think I really did. But I do feel better. I'm in a much better mental place. Uh, so I'm just happy to be back and get back into a... Uh, not only just kind of explaining this stuff to people, but also learning myself. Because as we were saying, Jamie, we started this project because we both wanted to read more. So, like, mm -hmm. you know, now I'm, I'm, uh, now that I'm, you know, yeah. I mean, like, I'm mentally astute now, so I'm like back in the game. So Let's I'm happy go. to be back. Let's Hell go. yeah! This dialectic that y'all have been listening to is now a motherfucking trialectic. Trialectic. So. <laughs> triumvirate in the house. We're the trialectics, gonna... yeah. We're going to see how that goes. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, folks. You're going to love it. Now, before we get into it, and remember today we're talking about Estate and Revolution Chapter 5, Part 2. But before we go into the material, let's talk about, if you like what you're hearing, if you like that Aaron is back, be sure to <laughs> sign up on our fans.fm at fans.fm slash everybody loves communism or the Patreon at patreon.com slash everybody loves communism. It's very straightforward. Sign up. You'll hear great content like our cultural Marxism series, but also stay tuned because there's going to be a lot more different content coming up behind the paywall. And also, if you like what you hear, be sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you find po podcasts. Really important that you do because for communism to win, people need to know that what we, sh what we do is good and also that people are able to listen about theory and history so that we can win. Like That's it. right. And you can also balance out all of the fucking chuds who give us one star ratings just to be assholes. Does yeah. that happen? It does happen. Oh, it happens. Jesus Christ, man. Find something else to do. Like nobody loves communism. It's a real review I read. <laughs> nobody loves communism. More That's like clever. nobody loves communism. <laughs> owned. <laughs> oh, owned. I'm so owned. How will I ever recover? Oh, no. Sucker blue. <laughs> but that said we are workshopping perhaps a less clunky name uh so that'll uh, and, and obviously we're gonna get a new logo re so let us know if you have any ideas because it turns out naming things is hard uh i i mean i don't hate the current name i just kind of named it that as a bit of a placeholder until mm. I could think of something that perhaps conveys similar things, but in a, in a more clever way. And guess what? Hasn't happened yet. But, you know, never say never. Stay tuned. Stay yeah. tuned. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, <laughs> definitely, like, if y'all have any uh, 
you listening, if you have any ideas for names, uh, it's easy to come up with like uh, different Twitter handles for me. But as Jamie said, <laughs> naming naming other things like a podcast is pretty tough. So uh, let us know if you have any recommendations, suggestions. The Paradoomer podcast of a, a handle which Aaron has never had before. I've never had before. I don't, that guy was pretty cool, though. He seemed like a cool guy. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. I can't with your constant persecution by the Twitter police. I mean, they, they're just trying to keep a black man down, man. It's Fox. They're not letting a black man shine. You know? Fox. It does seem a little <laughs> sus, the way it, this it, is played out. It, it does seem sus. It, uh, but, you know, I mean, back in the game because clearly I'm diseased. Uh, but <laughs> also, uh, you know, for projects like this to let people know, like, what I'm doing, you know. So kind of, kind of, kind of, sort of needed a little bit, kind of. Well, luckily, you're a powerful enough poster that people follow you like immediately as soon oh, yeah. as you get a new one. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, those All people right. are probably more diseased than me. No, I'm kidding. I love y'all. Yo. Y'all are cool. <laughs> <laughs> y'all are real cool. Y'all are real cool. All right. Appreciate you guys. Now, All right. let's get right into it. Before we kind of, it's been a while since we talked about this, but chapter five, part two, three and four is basically, Lennon's making the case. The name of the chapter is The Economic Withering Way of the State. Now, the- the economic basis for I'm not looking at it. Sorry. No, no. It I feel, is I feel like it's the economic. Yeah. The economic basis of the withering away of the state, which is a great title because that's, you know, it's what we care about. It's pretty direct, but, you know, not the most not the most catchiest title, but it is what it is. But mm-hmm. part three and four, which we'll be talking about, is, in fact, about how do we get from here to there here? Capitalism to communism. So, important question. Perhaps the most important question. We shall see. Now, part so, three, first phase of communist society. You want to take it away, Jamie? Yeah. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, like Jorge said, um, in this portion, this latter half of the chapter, Lenin really does the full Monty and explains in terms that he insists are, are, are 100% scientific and not at all utopian, which, you know, is up for debate, but I digress. Uh, he explains how communist society develops out of capitalism. Oh, my God. I want to know. Do you guys want to know? I want to know. I want to know. Is, this is, yeah, I want to know. Uh, so this, <laughs> is, this, is one guy's, this is one guy's vision of this. Um, so part... We're Wait, splitting Jamie, it up. Jamie, what? you deny the immortal science of Marxism-Leninism? Mm-hmm. Uh oh, uh oh. Can can I can I just preface real quick, Jamie? I don't want to I don't want to cut you off or get you lose your train of thought, but like I'd like this, I think it's interesting because people think that like it's gonna be like uh, once we immediately like overthrow like the capitalist class that immediately we're gonna have communism. Um, I think that's even a mistake that I made when I was getting into these ideas, but that's not true at all. Like it's a process. TBD, TBD. Um, I mean, look, we're gonna get into what I believe uh, when we do some more anarchist adjacent uh, Mm. theory. But for now, I think it's important to understand what Lenin thought, or at least what he claimed to believe about how we get to communism. So. You know, I've got some of my own notes that I will insert as we go, but uh, let's let's get into the Lenin. Let's get into it. Because, you know, it's what, it's what we're doing in this episode. So, part three is titled, The First Phase of Communist Society. Wow. Now, 
In this part, uh, Lenin starts off by referencing Marx's critique of the Gotha program, in which Marx disproves this guy LaSalle's idea that socialism, uh, under socialism, the worker will receive, will receive the undiminished or full product of his labor, according to LaSalle, who was sort of a sock dem, suck dem type, <laughs> Kautskyite type, I want to say, uh, from memory, if memory serves. So, quote... Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if LaSalle, like, I don't think that's, like, uh, correct. Like, it might be a bit ahistorical to call him a Kotsky because he definitely was before Kotsky by several decades. All right. Well, good to know. <laughs> thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks but, for but the he, thanks for the background on that. But he was like he was like kind of part of that same strain of like um, reformist types who uh, their horizon uh, was pretty limited. Right. To as Jamie, as you're about to talk about, to this first stage of, of communism or yeah, socialism, I, mean, I guess, right? I mean, like, yes, but to be to be fair to Blasol, like, he died in 1864, so he was, and he was the founder of the Social Democratic Party of Germany, so mm-hmm. it's, mm. it's hard, it's kind of hard to dunk on a guy when it's, like, his horizon was from even before Marx in terms of his mm. lifespan. Well, sure. Lenin's yeah, gonna do it. He's gonna do it right now. It is what um, it is. So, Lenin loves to dunk. Yeah, he dunks on so many people; it's hard to keep them straight. Like, really, <laughs> I gotta research every single motherfucker that he disagreed with. All right, like, and that's like why we're here for this podcast. Like our boy Marks, man, a famous uh, loves to dunk on people, man. Yeah, yeah. So, Lenin says, "Quote." Marx shows that from the whole of the social labor of society, there must be deducted a reserve fund, a fund for the expansion of production, a fund for the replacement of the wear and tear of machinery, and so on. Then, from the means of consumption, must be deducted a fund for administrative expenses, for schools, hospitals, old people's homes, and so on. So this makes sense, right, guys? Children, old people, sick people, the disabled, they can't work. So normal workers, able-bodied people, will need some of the proceeds of their work to go to them. So that that's pretty easy to follow so far, right? I think so. Um, I think then most there's people a quote. would agree with this. Yeah. Wait, can I, can I, can I, like, could I say that, uh, and y'all let me know if I'm wrong, but, I mean, we could say that, like, Social Security, as, as just Social Security exists in the United States, I'm not saying uh, that that is, uh, I, I guess, the example that we'd want to use, but... Um, or that we strive for, but it, but that's an example of like a social fund, right? That like yeah. you would mm-hmm. hope that people would dip into. People can't work. People are elderly, and they'd be able to like um, get some sustenance, right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, would I mean, say the, so. The idea of a welfare state is quite old. I mean, we could talk about it some other time, but it goes back. I think the first person who argued, at least in Western society, was Aristotle. So it has a really long history of of their, of existing. Hmm. It exists in capitalism. It exists in socialism. Uh, in some form, it exists in communism, but like there's no money, so it's a little different. Uh, mm-hmm. But the point is, people got to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. So this makes sense. Um, then there's a quote from Marx, which I'm not going to read because Lenin says the exact same thing in the next graph. And I quote, It is this communist society which has just emerged into the light of day out of the womb of capitalism and which is in every respect stamped with the birthmarks of the old society that Marx terms the first or lower phase of communist society. So, little note, there are some communists who don't consider this stage to be communism at all, or even socialism. I personally don't think the difference is super, super important. Um, But 
I do think it is nice branding for communism to have people think of full communism in all its majesty, no job, do whatever you want when they hear the C word. Um, yeah. But again, this I don't want to muddy the waters too much because right now Lenin is using it to mean uh, he's saying lower stage communism and he's explaining what that's about. So in this phase of society, uh, the means of production no longer belongs to individuals, but to the whole of society. Remember, we just expropriated it, folks. So mm -hmm. Lenin says every member of society performing a certain part of the socially necessary work receives a certificate from society to the effect that he has done a certain amount of work. And with this certificate, he receives from the public store of consumer goods a corresponding quantity of products. After a deduction is made of the amount of labor which goes to the public fund, every worker, therefore, receives from society as much as he has given to it. Equality, he puts that in scare quotes, apparently reigns supreme. But when LaSalle, having in view such a social order, usually called socialism, but termed by Marx the first phase of communism, says that this is, quote, equitable distribution, that this is, quote, the equal right of all to an equal product of labor, LaSalle is mistaken and Marx exposes the mistake, end quote. So why is this a mistake? Why is it not actually equal if everyone who works a certain number of hours gets a voucher for a certain amount of stuff in return? Because we're not all equal, Jamie. Yeah, that's exactly. right. So you're stepping on Lenin's line, but uh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> to answer this question, Lenin, he's not going to quote Jorge because Jorge wasn't born yet. He's going to quote <laughs> Marx. But, you know, he might have if he had been. Aww. The equal right, says Marx. I mean, yeah. The equal right, says Marx, in this case, still certainly conforms to bourgeois law which, like all law, implies inequality. All law is an application of an equal measure to different people who, in fact, are not alike, are not equal to one another. That is why the equal right is violation of equality and an injustice. In fact, everyone, having performed as much social labor as another, receives an equal share of the social product after the above-mentioned deductions. But, says Lenin, people are not alike. One is strong, another is weak. One is married, another is not. One has more children, another has less, and so on. And the conclusion Marx draws is, quote, with an equal performance of labor and hence an equal share in the social consumption fund, one will in fact receive more than another, one will be richer than another, and so on. To avoid all these defects, the right instead of being equal would have to be unequal, end quote. So think about it. If I'm kind of slow and Jorge's kind of fast and we both work for eight hours and we both get a voucher for the same amount of stuff, then Jorge is getting kind of a bad deal, right? Mm. Um, as for the part about children, I feel like that would be very easy to remedy by just giving people with kids extra provisions in this socialist voucher system. But again, I get the basic concept here. Mm. Um, I, I think that quote's kind of funny because like, He's like, oh, some people, like, he's like, some, some are married, some are don't, some have more children, some people have less. It's like, some have bitches, some don't. Some, yeah, some, yeah. Pull, some, some people some pull out games. Some are broke, some got the bag. Yeah, some people <laughs> pull out game is weak as hell, some people are not. It's just like, it's like I just find like that quote really funny. Yeah. Uh, it also, is. Also, too, it kind of reminds me, I don't know if y'all agree, but it kind of reminds me of like, uh, like this lower stage sort of like, um, it's bounded by bourgeois law, so it kind of reminds me of like the uh, the equality of um, opportunity 
kind of thing that liberals push, you know? Like, as long as we give everybody, like, the same kind of starting point, right, everybody will end up fine. But, like, that's not the case because, I mean, you have people that don't have that quality of opportunity, especially, like, black and brown people, especially, like, working class people where poverty is uh, generational in their family, you know? So it still is very much attached, as, like, Lennon said and Jamie is saying, it's still very much attached to, like, bourgeois law, which is Mm -hmm. law for who, by who, you know? The one, the one size fits all approach is gonna. There's gonna be some losers. There's yeah, gonna the, be winners the, and losers in there. That's yeah. that's why when like people like say Jordan Peterson, who are you know the, these so-called intellectuals on the right, say that say oh well Marx was like such a person. Marx was just a person who talks about equality all the time. Like it's just like that, like that guy in his fucking Kermit voice. Like it <laughs> it, 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 it reveals that they have never really read Marx. Or if they have, they're intentionally lying because Marx was not for equality. Well, we know Peterson didn't read Marx because when he did that debate with Zizek, which nobody should watch. I didn't really watch. I just saw the little snippets. Um, it's clear that he didn't read Marx. So, yes, uh, these people do not know what the fuck they're talking about. I mean, yeah, we know this is true. Uh, but I, I do think that Marx is gunning for a certain kind of equality that acknowledges that, mm. you know, in order to really be equal, different people are going to need different things. Like um, Lenin's talking about here. So... Yeah, different people are going to have different needs. So if Jorge has a really huge appetite because he lifts and I have a little baby one because they sit on my ass all day and we get the same amount of food, that's going to feel a little bit unequal. Um, Like assuming we're both operating in good faith when we, you know, give it the old college try at the factory. um, We are going from each according to his abilities, but not to each according to his needs. And that's that's where we want to get to. So back to Lenin, he says, the first phase of communism, therefore, cannot yet provide justice and equality. Differences and unjust differences in wealth will still persist. But the exploitation of man by man will have become impossible because it will be impossible to seize the means of production, the factories, machines, land, etc., and make the private property. So basically, in this phase of society, you're still going to have to do wage labor, which is not ideal. Uh, that's the thing I keep coming back to. It's sort of de-emphasized here, but um, I think it's important. And Lenin does give it kind of a, a nod in the next section, so don't worry. Mm-hmm. Um you're still only getting paid what it takes to reproduce you as a worker and keep you alive, right? The rest is going to go to the social fund or whatever. Uh, and there's going to be some inequality baked in as different people have different needs and abilities. Um, also, your surplus is being taken from you still. But instead of going into the pocket of a capitalist who kind of parasitically lives off of it before taxes are taken out in small amounts by these unaccountable governments that the capitalists own and then use them to, you know, maybe take care of some old people, but also maybe invade some countries. Um, Don't tread on me. Right, right. The surplus here is captured directly by the worker state, which you then have to trust to use it wisely. Um, But like Lennon said, now the means of production are in the hands of the workers or the worker state. And it's ostensibly using the surplus in a better way to provide for everyone and develop the productive forces so that the world can move towards communism in the long run, allegedly. Mm. Um, Pretty based in my allegedly. Opinion. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if everything goes the way we want it to, the way Lenin wanted it to. Um, and, you know, didn't work out that way yet, but maybe it will next time. Um, also, I think Lenin, you know what? 
I'm going to move on. This note is not relevant yet. Uh, but here's one that is uh, um, on the topic of labor vouchers. If you want a very deca- detailed uh, handicapping, troubleshooting, if you will, of this idea as a phase of socialist development, um, you can check out our bonus episode where Aaron and I discuss Marx's critique of the Gotha program with our friend Jasper Burns. Yeah, that was Good a great times. episode. You should go back and listen. That was great. Yeah, we should unlock that. I yeah, like we it should, a lot. Yeah, we should unlock that uh, in in, uh, in tangent with this one because they kind of they kind of go together a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, enrichment connections. Connections. I like it. Oh, Context. Such a fun journey, you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, back to Lenin, who's still very concerned with owning this socialist LaSalle, who I'm sorry I didn't know very much about, but Jorge does, so that's good. We'll talk about him someday on this podcast. Don't worry. Okay, okay. Um, quote, in smashing LaSalle's petty bourgeois vague phrases about equality and justice in general, Marx shows the course of development of communist society, which is compelled to abolish at first only the injustice of the means of production seized by individuals, and which is unable at once to eliminate the other injustice, which consists in the distribution of consumer goods according to the amount of labor performed and not according to needs, end quote. So... That's a really interesting uh, quote. Yeah. Because like it's kind of like it really, really like cuts against the grain of what conservatives say that like well, socialism wants to punish the people who are at the, at the top who are high performers. But here Lenin is explicitly saying in the transitional period, those who are very productive very in, in a, um, and who are like, say, contributing a lot to society more uh, measurably more than others will have to also accommodate for them. Because that is not fair to them either. Exactly. Yeah, it's 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 planning for the unfairness, but it's acknowledging that it is yeah. unfair and that you have to move past it. Right. Which I think you know, so many, so much of the bullshit that conservatives say about Marx, Marx actually accounted for. Like, ooh, yeah. what about this thing? Uh, Marx accounted for that. Maybe you should fucking read it before we you ha- talk. Yeah, we have to first exactly. We have to first establish a hard floor on, on suffering before we worry about uh, the unbounded ceiling of accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, that's well put. Nice. Yeah. Sure. No, I think I think I think too. Like you know, it's like not only that, not only have they not read any of this, but their conception of like equality is still rooted in like you know this bourgeois conception. You know, so they can't possibly imagine like that equality doesn't just involve like you know these political rights or. Even as Marx says, right, it doesn't even just uh, require like sort of the um, uh, the sort of uh, eliminating private property, right? Because that's not enough, right? Like we got to take a step further. So as you were saying, Jamie, it's because they haven't read any of this shit, mm-hmm. so they don't know that Marx has answered many of the the uh, criticisms that they have. You heard it, folks. You dumb. Yeah. I mean, they're You're not dumb. listening. <laughs> they're not just, well, maybe one is hate listening. The guy that's uh, that replies, uh, "No one loves communism." He's probably listening. You dumb. You dumb. So, yes, the main takeaway here, uh, I think, is that socialism, state socialism, lower stage communism, whatever, whatever, is not the end point we should be shooting for, as we have been discussing, uh, because it's not really equal and not that great for the average person, uh, but perhaps better than capitalism. Mm. Furthermore, 
It really only makes sense as a part as part of a process of social transformation, which will ultimately develop past this phase into something else, aka communism. Um, but yes, I'm going to add here. I'm going to editorialize a bit that uh, the big injustice Lenin doesn't mention in this part that would really persist in this stage is that thing where people are forced to go to work at a job in order to survive, which sucks, uh, whether their boss is a capitalist or the state or even themselves. Um, but again, he does kind of pay lip service to this idea in the next section. He just doesn't harp on it as much as I would if I were him, because uh, I'm mainly a communist because I don't like to work. So um, well, I think Jamie, we do it. I think Jamie, Jamie, I think I don't know what episode it was. It might have been it might have been that uh, episode, the critique of the goth program. But I think that we talk about coercion. Right. And like, what that looks like and if it's necessary, because that's a really thorny question that I don't big think question. It's a big question. A lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about. But I mean, like there I, are levels of coercion well, in this lower stage. Right. You know who does feel comfortable talking about it? Lenin. Lenin. <laughs> Hell yeah. But he thinks that it's, I don't know. Well, maybe I'm being unfair. Well, we'll see. So, yeah, I just hate, I hate wage labor. Fuck that shit. So um, now he does this thing that he likes to do where he's like, the bourgeois economists think that we think this dumb thing, but actually they're just showing how dumb they are owned. Um, in this case, Ooh. he notes, yeah. Um, you know, it's the bourgeois economists, quote, constantly reproach the socialists with forgetting the inequality of people and with dreaming of eliminating this inequality, which mm. is already dumb. Right. Because which is it? You know, like if Marxists dream of eliminating the inequality between people, that means they recognize it currently exists. Duh. Exactly. But, you know, whatever. Um, Lenin says this only proves their ignorance because Marx accounts for this once again. Uh, he acknowledges that the conversion of the means of production into common property doesn't necessarily solve this problem all the way yet. Um, mm -hmm. There are still going to be some defects of distribution and the inequality of bourgeois law, which he really keeps banging on about it. Um, and you know what? There's It gets a little repetitive, so I'm going to skip mm. this part that I wrote. Um, but then he quotes Marx. Always, always a power move. Um, Quote, but these defects are inevitable in the first phase of communist society, as it is when it has just emerged after prolonged birth pangs from capitalist society. Law can never be higher than the economic structure of society and its cultural development conditioned thereby. But mm. how is, end quote, but how is bourgeois law tied to these defects of distribution? Lenin sort of answers that, saying, quote, and so, in the first phase of communist society, usually called socialism, bourgeois law is not abolished in its entirety, but only in part, only in proportion to the economic revolution so far attained, i.e. only in respect of the means of production. Bourgeois law recognizes them as the private property of individuals. Socialism converts them into common property. To that extent, and to that extent alone, bourgeois law disappears. So this is a bit of a tricky passage. You guys can tell me what you think about it, too. Um, yeah. But what I think he's saying, you guys can feel free to disagree, mm. is that laws are part of the superstructure, which is sort of created and determined by what's going on in the base, a.k.a. the economy. So if you go into there and socialize the means of production, the bourgeois law relating to that specific thing will disappear or change, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, but not in my, but not even immediately, right? Because it doesn't yet in this like first lower stage of uh, communism. And I think like I'm trying to think of an analogy that like maybe maybe it, maybe this is a corny analogy, but I don't know. Think of like think of any like living thing, you know, that's born and is born in like kind of like you know an uh, uh, early stage and then grows and develops, right? It's the same thing with socialism with communism, right? It's kind of the vestiges, right, still of bourgeois capitalism, and so. This sort of still adherence to bourgeois law, law pertaining to like the means of production, that's something that like is still going to exist. Like th- these are like the kind of birth pangs, you know, like something that we have to address and deal with. But it's not an immediate answer. It's going to take time. But as you said, Jamie, once that's achieved, then the state, hopefully, as Lenin says, will wither away. Right. From, it won't from, be necessary anymore. I, I think to kind of jump on your your analogy, Aaron, it might be similar to how when. All, all of us who are human kind of like when we when we're like developing we have like these baby teeth like set of baby teeth and then they fall but also at the same time permanent teeth are coming in yeah yeah it's kind of like that yeah that's or actually yeah. yeah hopefully you're not like me where your baby teeth refuse to fucking fall out and oh, then no. you have to go to the dentist and have them all pulled because oh, you no. have two rows of teeth like a shark god damn yeah that's no, the coercion ho- part yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the coercion part exactly. Oof, Marot. Yeah, that was that was a rough one. I hope the transition is smoother than it was for me. Also, oh, dentistry will be will be free and accessible to all uh, under under communism. So yeah, and we won't have any more of these bullshit dentists who don't believe in giving drugs to children. Because you know, hot what? take. I think you need a little more than Novocaine to deal with violent violence in your mouth when yeah, you're yeah. little when you're yeah, a little man. kid dope them kids up man like yeah. i wouldn't want to be a kid give, like going through that shit give them some fucking laughing gas yeah. they'll see like unicorns and lisa frank shit it'll be great yeah be, you want to be like that kid in that uh in that video uh is this real life who's like <laughs> still <laughs> who's like still high as shit after, coming, yeah, after getting out the dentist man you want to be like so that kid. jealous so that's jealous the communist that horizon kid. that's like yeah, the communist that's horizon. right and you know, the more people go along with smoking our... on that shit, saying, "Is this real life?" <laughs> <laughs> and the more people that go along with our program, um, you know, the more nice and fun and laughing gassy the transition will be, and the less horrible and like mine it will be. So yeah, um, but let's let's continue. <laughs> and also so, the bourgeois law point, he does talk about it additionally in the second, in the, in the next part. So he talks about it a lot. Yeah. Um, so to the point where I'm like, why are you talking about this so much and not so much about how much it sucks to have to go to work? But, um, mm. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a point. I'm sure there's a point to it, if only to like own some obscure intellectual. So um, he goes on. Blah, 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 blah. However, uh, bourgeois law, he, he says it, but I'm replacing it with bourgeois law, so you remember what we're talking about, uh, persists as far as its other part is concerned. It persists in the capacity of regulator, parentheses, determining factor, in the distribution of products and the allotment of labor among the members of society. The socialist principle, he who does not work shall not eat, is already realized. The other socialist principle, an equal amount of products for an equal amount of labor, is also already realized. So, question, is he throwing shade on socialism here? Because these sound like some very capitalist principles to me, but I guess that's why 
I'm a communist. So um, the thing is, this is kind of like a more, how do I say it? It's important to historicize a bit here because this is actually like, was like a strain of thinking at the time. He wasn't, I don't think, throwing shade. I think he was like sincere that this is what Mm. is like a socialist principle in terms of like everyone is capable has to contribute um, Mm -hmm. because otherwise like how can you then suggest that I want to get but then you don't do shit first. Mm -hmm. But also this is going to be surprising. He's quoting the Bible. What? What? Yeah, it's literally from second Bible quotes in my communism. He he's quoting second epistle to the Thessalonians three ten, which is literally the quote is, "If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat." That's like that. This is he's literally quoting the Bible. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. That, that's 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 really interesting because like, I think like I'm thinking of my moms, and I'm not throwing shade at my moms. I'm not like doing a Lenin or a Marx right now, and like dunking on my own mama, but like. You know, normies like, and I hate that term too pejorative, but she is a normie. But folks like her, she she thinks that equality is when everybody puts in an equal amount of work and receives yeah. an equal share of the profit, right? Yeah. And yeah. on the set, on for, like uh, face value, that seems like it makes sense, right? But I mean, Jamie, as you've talked about, and Lena's talked about, like that's not really the case because some people yeah. can't work as hard as others. Some people can't work as long as others. You know, some people. What about kids? You know, some like should we say just... that? Like, yeah. Some people just are very ill-suited to it, and they hate it. I don't so, know. like Jamie, like Jamie doesn't want to. Like I don't want to fucking work either, man. I don't, and I don't think anyone should be forced to do so. Which is why I want to move away from the kind of productivism uh, that Lenin often, I think, is a bit too focused on. Um, but it makes sense, right? Because Russia was basically a feudal backwater still. Exactly. And they were trying to build up the productive forces. Um, and it would have looked very, very different if either the English or the German revolution had succeeded. But unfortunately, they didn't. Mm-hmm. They were stuck doing a socialism in one country. So, yeah, it really was an all-hands-on-deck situation. You don't I mean, get... I know. I just want to say something real quick. I hope it's not too off topic, but you know, people will say about the founding fathers, they'll say, well, yeah, they were slave owners, but they had to do what they did at their time, given the historical constraints and X, Y, and Z. But like, these are the people that are liberals and conservatives, mostly conservatives that will never say that. Right. About like people like Lenin. Right. It's like, well, maybe Jamie, I'm thinking like he's focusing on the uh, bourgeois law part and the productive forces because at the time, what was going on in Russia, the Russia, the historical context, he couldn't really imagine, right? He couldn't even really think far ahead enough to that second stage, right? You know, well, so it's like... Why would he? Yeah, I think yeah, he what, was yeah. thinking about it, They, but, you know, shit didn't go the way that it would have had to for Europe, at least, to mm. progress smoothly towards that phase. Mm. So well, I mean, they knew that they were kind of fucked. Well, I mean, like, to kind of refer back to something we've talked about when we're reading this, Lenin did think about communism, but he said that, and to be honest, I completely agree with him in this specific instance, that only a generation that's completely been raised without want or a kind of like can mm-hmm. then can then move towards communism because they will then understand what it means to work. Everyone works together and then also everyone gets what they need. Yeah. For- and in I the mean, here and now, I think, go ahead, Jamie, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say to be determined because I have some notes in here that call mm. to uh, a different kind of communist theory that I am somewhat sympathetic to called communization, where there is no 
intermittent stage of socialism because people they know how to fucking work they know they know how to run shit and they're ready they're ready to they're ready to get all this shit out of the way all of the vestiges of capitalist society and just move to you know a better life for you and for me but we can talk on. about it later because i think we can, we're gonna we're gonna yeah, yeah. well shall we oh god what time is it i feel like we need to go a little faster yeah keep going Okay, <laughs> he says, but this is not yet communism and it does not yet abolish bourgeois law, which gives unequal individuals in return for unequal, really unequal amounts of labor, equal amounts of product. This is a defect, says Marx, but it is unavoidable in the first phase of communism. For if we are not to indulge in utopianism, we must not think that having overthrown capitalism, people will at once learn to work for society without any rules of law. Besides, the abolition of capitalism does not immediately create the economic prerequisites for such a change. Now, like I said, as someone who fucks with communization theory, I think this is kind of bullshit. Because if we have a critical mass of people doing a revolution, which, you know, might come amid a total collapse of the global capitalist order, um, I don't think they're going to need to be forced by a bourgeois law to work. Um, I think they're going to figure it out because everyone will literally starve to death if they don't. And that mm. seems like a much better motivation to me than bourgeois law, which may or may not even fucking exist anymore. Anyway, um, also an idea that I like from anarchist communism is that the form that the revolution takes uh, necessarily prefigures and gives rise to the future society. So hmm. say you got a dual power situation where all the communes or the Soviets have formed and workers are running a bunch of shit for themselves. We got a unity of the political and the economic, yada, yada. Um, they're obviously going to keep doing that and also build upon it after the rev. Um, and I think that's more conducive to communism or full communism, whatever you want to call it, than a world where you're sort of trying to train people to work via the law as if capitalism hasn't done that a lot already. But again, <laughs> I, who I think, knows? I think, I think the latter point, I mean, I have mentioned before, I completely agree with the first point, but the latter point, Lenin has already kind of, does, does mention and almost entirely agrees in the second point. I think he just, he's more subtle with the bourgeois law framing than he is in the first in his first section hmm. and, and i wanted to say too jamie i think that i think you might have something there with communization because i think that if you look at like the crises that we face you know i think that like you're absolutely right that like people might people might not be inclined to still continue to follow this bourgeois law at such a time of crisis you know when people literally cannot eat when people cannot live like certain places aren't habitable you know what i mean yeah. like we may be able given the climate crisis itself and other like uh consequential crises we might be able to kind of uh jump start that and uh maybe skip that step but TBD, mm -hmm. as, as we say. I think a lot is TBD. Uh, yeah. The rest is still unwritten. Um, I also want to point out that he uses... So this is sort of a new definition of the worker state than he has used elsewhere, <coughs> elsewhere in the text. Sorry, I'm mm. a little bit sick, guys. <coughs> like, right, Because sometimes he defines the state as simply the organized use of force by one class mm. against another. But now he's like... No, you also need the state to do some other shit. But uh, mm. you know, we're almost done with this chapter. So he do he does rest. get into it in, in, in the in the fourth section. He does, but we just mm. have to get to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So quote quote. Now there are no other rules than those of bourgeois law. To this extent, therefore, there still remains the need for a state 
which, while safeguarding the common ownership of the means of production, would safeguard equality in labor and in the distribution of products. Hmm, that's a new definition of the state. He goes mm. on. The state withers away insofar as there are no longer any capitalists, any classes, and consequently, no class can be suppressed. Okay, so he just said that we, need, we also need the state to perform these administrative functions, make sure people are working in exchange uh -huh. for their food and shelter, which is a function very distinct from merely suppressing the bourgeoisie. Um, so I'm not sure why he thinks that function is going to wither away once there are, is no bourgeoisie to suppress because it might not have anything to do with that. Um, you know, there could be no classes, but the state could keep on telling workers what to do indefinitely. But uh, let's finish it out because I feel like I'm repeating myself now. Uh, quote, but the state has not yet completely withered away, since it still remains the safeguarding of bourgeois law, which sanctifies actual inequality. For the state to wither away completely, complete communism is necessary. Mm. Now, let's find out how he thinks that's going to happen. Yeah, and before we get into it, I think something that's... And I don't think he does himself any favors here, but I think what's going on is that he... To be honest with you, I think he's kind of um, like on. He doesn't mention it explicitly, but like unintentionally, kind of almost like like oh, he just assumes that everyone's on the same page on that. Well, if there if if there's one class in charge of something and the state is a manufacturer of that for society to then reproduce itself, dare I say like social reproduction, then like that is like a that is like a byproduct of the state being that way so when yeah. the proletarian so basically like bourgeois law in a capitalist state means private property and then the reproduction of that in a in a transitional period when that when the law maintains that but it being common property the reproduction of that is also like that that i think is slightly what's going on there but again i don't think he does himself any favors but well, yeah. before we get into before Wait, we get into part four, before we get to part four, yeah. oh, hold yeah. on, Aaron. Before yeah. we get to part four, yeah. it's important to mention we have to promote the FanThoughtFM and the Patreon. You know, if hope everyone yes. here. Yes. Oh, hope, you're nice. so good at this. Hope Keep nice. going. Nice. Yeah. Hope everyone here is listening, is, is a fan, or is on, subscribe to the Patreon. If you're not, and we're checking, if you're not, be sure to do so because there's a lot of great content on there. So go to FanThoughtFM slash Everybody Loves Communism, or, or, and or, if you really want to. Patreon.com slash Everybody Loves Communism. And be sure to give us a five-star rating if you liked what you hear, heard and you liked what you hear in the rest of the State and Revolutionary series and other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Give us five stars. Maybe even a review if you feel so inclined. That would be really wonderful if you did. So go for it, Aaron. What would you say? No, no, no. That was actually, I'm not, I'm not even going to fuck that up. That was perfect. That was really, you're really good at so that. Go ahead, Hori. No, you're, you're so really good. good. You're we, really good every that. podcast needs somebody who knows how to do that. And yes. for us, it's definitely Jorge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. No, I mean, um, so now let's get into part four, the higher phase of communist society. Now, this one's going to be longer than the previous one, but goes into some of the nuances that and questions that Jamie brought up, which, you know, a lot of them, I think, in my opinion, are very fair questions. So in this last section, as the title suggests, Lenin wishes to theorize how the higher stage of communism, or communism proper, full communism, whatever you want to call it, is distinct from the lower stage of communism, or socialism. He begins this section with a quote from Marx, this quote being, in a higher phase of communist society, after the enslaving, 
subordination of the individual to the division of labor, and with it also the antithesis between mental and physical labor has vanished, after labor has become not only a livelihood but life's prime want, after the productive forces have increased with the all-round development of the individual, and all the springs of cooperative wealth flow more abundantly, only then can the narrow horizon of bourgeois law be left behind in its entirety and society inscribe on its banners from each from according, each to, according his to his ability to each according to his needs. Oh, I wanted us to say it together. Say it all together. Yeah, I should have, I should have jumped in. I, I, I got excited. Yeah, no, no. no, it's a banger of a line, man. It's pretty good. It's a great. It's a banger of a line. Also, one long sentence, really great sentence. This paragraph or sentence from Marx is a fascinating one because it states quite plainly there needs to be a serious investment in the productive forces of society for the good of the collective in terms of use value or, in other words, producing things for their stated value and not for profit while maintaining the increased welfare of every individual person over time. Furthermore, only after we eliminate the distinction between mental and physical labor as somehow uniquely distinct labor and not merely as plainly labor basically oh well you're a carpenter you're a surgeon you're a, uh, a copy editor like they're all kind of distinct they're all really just manifestations of a much larger phenomenon then can we begin to have a society where labor becomes life's primary want only after we have all of this then can we begin to establish communism a society whose foundational governing maxim is very straightforward and very simple is from each according to their ability, basically those who con those contribute to the collective what they are able to, and to each according to their needs. Everyone has different needs, and must have their needs met by the common source of wealth. Wah, wah, wah. Pew 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 yeah. pew. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, that uh, was that was no. I was saying that was that was great, Jorge, because it's really like uh, a fulfillment sort of of like the the communist promise, right? That the first phase isn't able to like achieve and get to, right? Mm -hmm. That like just because you're not able to put in as much work as you know uh, your neighbor doesn't mean that you receive any less. So I mean that was right. Yeah. Very important communist Very important. idea. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, in addition to the division of labor, which I'm actually sort of a moderate on. Um, <laughs> like I like I like the Marx quote where he's like a man could be you know a fisher in the morning, a poster in the afternoon, and a gamer in the evening or whatever it actually <laughs> is. Um, I do think this may not be possible for certain specialized tasks that we probably still want people doing after the rev, like, I don't know, brain surgery. Or rocket um, science. Yeah, yeah or some, rocket science some especially. of these things yeah. might require you to do it kind of full time. Um, but, you know, that should be people's choice. Um, I also want to spotlight the an, another concept that's sort of contained in here, which is to say the abolition of the distinction between work and leisure. Um, cause that's a major theme in, it's, it's, it's a theme in this quote and I think it's, um, it deserves emphasis. Um, it's a major area of focus for communization theory, which I keep thinking about sort of in contrast to some of what we're reading in Lenin. Um, and a big reason why communization theory appeals to me, right? Because as I've said, I hate work. I want it to go away. I don't think anyone should be able to, should be forced to work against their will, and Marx lays out a model for sort of overcoming it in the Hegelian sense, right? By subsuming it back into all of the stuff we do in the course mm -hmm. of day-to-day -day life 
as it most likely was for people in hunter-gatherer times, right? So exactly. ca cavemen didn't get up at, you know, 7 a.m. or whatever and think, Ugh, time to go to work, right? Yeah, they were time just to make shoes or some shit like that because I'm going to, like, sell these sandals that I've made to, like, my neighbor or some shit like that. No, you, yeah. you did it because you, like, needed to do it. And you used it because you needed to use it, not for profit. Yeah, right? they were they were just living, you know, and like I'm vibing, sure man. some things took more no effort than other vibes. things. <laughs> exactly, but you know, like stuff like hunting, like that was probably fun on some level. You know, like a, a lot of activities, even stuff that people did because they needed to do it to survive. Um, there were some combination of difficult and enjoyable. And, you know, we could see glimpses of that. Like, what are we doing right now? We're working, we're expending effort, and we're also hopefully enjoying ourselves. Yes. Um, and they, they, were, they were moving through the world and experiencing life in this very, this very different way than people do in capitalism. And I think, um, like, they even perceive time in a different way. And maybe mm -hmm. we can never get back there completely. But given that we have seen glimpses of it in our current lives and we think it's something to strive for uh, this seems like a good thing to keep in mind mm -hmm. yeah i think an important thing and this is myself speaking it's we must remember london lived 100 years ago in a and what he was kind of arguing for was like in russia now he didn't live in russia he was very much a cosmopolitan he lived in switzerland he like he loved uh, he loved to go to cafes. You know, he's very much not like a someone of the salt of the. He wasn't a salt of the earth guy. Mm. Did but, he do? Did he do the what's her name tweet uh, where he's like, I have to imagine I'll still be able to get served in a cafe under socialism. <laughs> well, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? No, I have no idea. Okay, that's that's fine. Blind items, not but, important. <laughs> what her name is? It's funny that she said that. But what I, what I will say though is, I think he doesn't necessarily say this, and I think it's kind. It's the same with Marx, um, but or at least Marx didn't emphasize it as much. But I think it's kind of a disservice that he didn't. But I mean, my my opinion is, I think this first to hire phase will probably take a very long time because there is a lot of unlearning to do in society mm -hmm. from class society which was thousands and thousands of years i think it's hard to 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 to, to not forget that i yeah, don't know i mean did 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 black people need to unlearn being slaves when they threw off the chains of actually, slavery actually i would say that like I, I mean as a black person the conception of blackness is still can sometimes still be like uh, a yeah. sabotage and rooted in whiteness right so there's still I don't want to call it a slave mentality. It sounds like it's, that's used very pejoratively, right, by black people who, um, especially against, like, black leftists, right, like myself, right? Like, I'm operating under a slave mentality or something. But, like, yeah, I think, like— Shout out I to Candace Owens. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> Candace Owens, right? I do think, though, like, that's—I um, think that's a good point, Jorge, is, like, it's been, I mean, hundreds of years, right, of, of drilling it into people's heads that they need to go to work, that, like— if they work and stake out like a life for their own through work that they can provide for themselves and their families. And that requires like a sort of selfish individualism. And like, I don't know, but then as Jamie says, see, it's dialectics as Jamie, you were saying it's like the times are so grim and bleak and dire that maybe people are going to be jolted and shocked out of that sort of thinking. But I don't know. It's like 
it's kind of hard to imagine it will happen. I mean, it won't happen overnight. So, 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 uh, it's know? also like Lenin's not really saying that people need to learn to be free in this mm. passage. He's saying that the state needs to train them to work, which I think he is... He doesn't necessarily say that, actually. I we'll think get into capitalism it. has trained people to work already. And if anything people need to be trained to be free like we've just been talking about here well that's so funny jamie because lenin says exactly that in this section oh my god okay keep going you don't well lenin posits only after understanding what marx meant with this explanation can we fully appreciate how correct engels was when he ridiculed quote the absurdity of combining the words freedom and state unquote according to him if the state exists, and him being Lenin, Lenin believes that if the state exists, then there can be no freedom in society. And if there is freedom in society, then there can be no state. Thus, the economic basis and social conditions which allow for the state to completely wither away must be such a, quote, high state of development of communism, end of quote, that the distinction between mental and physical labor completely disappears which would remove one of the principal sources of modern social inequality, at least according to Lenin. And he further elaborates how, in order to remove this principal source of modern social inequality, there would need to be such there would be much more action than simply converting the means of production into public property. This is what he's saying. He does admit this expropriation would be a large advancement, as it would, quote, make it possible for the productive forces to develop to a tremendous extent, unquote. He is keen to point to how much the productive forces have already developed under capitalism, an inefficient allocation of resources merely for private gain of surplus value, and that, quote, we are entitled to say with the fullest confidence that the expropriation of the capitalists will inevitably result in an enormous development of the productive forces of human society, end of quote. However, Lenin does wish to caution how merely knowing the productive forces will flourish under socialism does not indicate how soon or how quickly we as a society mm. will be able to abolish divisions of labor or the distinction between mental and physical labor and finally have such a society where labor becomes life's prime want. According to Lenin, this is why he continually emphasizes only the, quote, inevitable withering away of the state, unquote, because... We cannot know how quickly or in what form the higher phase of communism will develop or even in what concrete form the withering away of the state will manifest because this has never happened before. What he yeah. does know is, quote, the state will be able to wither away completely when society adopts a rule from each according to their ability to each according to their need, end of quote. In other words, when humanity is so accustomed to following what he calls the fundamental rules of social intercourse, and labor is so productive, we're able to voluntarily work according to what people can do. So, once communism has developed sufficiently to the point of allowing for the free association of labor, people will no longer need to bean count how much they worked. They will simply work as long as they feel it necessary according to the collective. Furthermore, there will be no need to regulate what quantity of good people will receive, simply Quote, each will take freely according to their needs. Unquote. Now, many people might decry division in, at, the, at the time of Lenin. Not many people, and also now, people they might, still de do. might decry this vision of society as being, quote, sheer utopia. But according to Lenin, he's saying at the time, the obligation of socialists must, quote, 
demand the strictest control of society and by the state over the measure of labor and the measure of consumption, unquote, until we have developed a higher phase of communism. He is keen to point out how this tight control must first begin with the expropriation of property from the capitalist and the establishment of the dictatorship of the proletariat. So Lenin proceeds to denounce how those who claim socialists are talking of wild utopias, making demagogic promises, and how it is impossible to introduce socialism because no socialist, sorry, it's impossible to introduce socialism because no socialist promises what these people are thinking of, communism, or at least the higher stage of it. So basically Lenin is like saying that these people are saying that they're promising you everything. Lenin's kind of being more like a, more kind of like a precise. He's like, well, that's not socialism. That's communism. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't sound as appealing to me. I don't know to tell people like, well, you know what? I was going to try to save this to the end. So I'm sorry. You Mm. you just got to keep on going. But Mm. some of us, some of us are thinking that the higher stage of communism should get more emphasis because that's why we're doing any of this stuff. Well, I think I think you know what Lenin's kind of doing is more. It, we have to remember the time period he's writing about, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like people mm-hmm. back then weren't really calling themselves communists as much as they were calling themselves socialists, mm-hmm. and so people were advocating for socialism. And then people are saying, "Well, they're promising you all of this," and he's kind of saying, "Well, like these." Kind of like what we were saying earlier in this episode, these bozos are saying things that they don't. That we believe things that is not even true. It's yeah. like kind of like kind of that's kind of what he's I'll, doing. I also think too from an organization, like an organizing aspect, right? Um, and I'm just thinking about like you know the work that the organizing that I've done with the DSA and uh, unfortunately the Democratic Party. Um, but mm-hmm. the kind of uh, rapping that I was doing when talking to people on their porches and shit, right? It's DSA, like, Democratic D- Party. What's the difference? <laughs> What's the difference, right? It's like I can't, I can't open up my mouth and be like, "Hey, have you heard of the good word of Karl Marx, brother, in communism?" You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like I can't, like I can't. But Jamie, I agree with you, like in the sense that, like, yo, this is not my horizon. But when it comes to like the the praxis, praxis of practice of actually talking to people about these ideas, yep. like. I kind of want to hint at the farther, I want to hint at the farther horizon in what I'm saying to them, but I can't, I can't give that all, I can't give that to all of them right away because then to them, it'll sound unbelievable, right? They'll to say them, it will never happen. Insane. I it'll mean, sound it, sounds, it yeah. sounds unbelievable to me sometimes. And this is something I spend 24 seven thinking mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. but, but like, you don't have to call it that. I think you could, I, at least when I talk to people, I try to open with like, doesn't it suck how you have to work all the time exactly. and you still have no money? Exactly. Exactly. Well, right, Someone but, should do something about that. Well, right. But I mean, I guess what Lennon's kind of getting at and also what Aaron's getting at is you can't open with, oh, well, we want to remove all classes. No one has to work force. Everyone is just, it, it, you kind of get into the point where it's like, oh, look at you kind of, a lot of people will rebuff that as like, oh, this is imaginary. Down, you have to go back down to earth, kind of, kind of, mm kind of mentality because you know for like it or not a lot of people have no horizon because they think well i've never gained anything under this system so why the hell would i yeah lennon actually lennon talks about that earlier and it's i mean y'all did it already part one and two but he talks about that exactly in this piece like people that are apolitical because like they're disenfranchised from bourgeois electoralism in the first place you know right and yet there are so many moments in history when regular ass people 
have risen up in the name of communism, in That's the right. name of a better, a better world. Oh, there's no disagreement about that. I think the point is more, how do you open that conversation? Mm-hmm. You can't, uh, I think it, it, it's, it, you got to meet people where they're at. Yeah, yeah, sure. that's that's the phrase. Meeting people where they're at, but Some, sometimes th- where they're at is burning down a fucking police Yo, station, see, see, I'm or two, looting yeah. a store, which yeah. is cool. Yeah, I'm of two minds because, like, again, and this is why, uh, you know, this is it's we're not all equal. Like, we we're not know. all equal in our development. <laughs> yeah, we, we all we all just can't know. We can't possibly know. And I mean, like, what faces us? You know, I can't I can't say that people are going to be people aren't ready. I mean, right now to like throw off these shackles, you know, uh, maybe, maybe when the time, you know, it's not, it might Some not are, one big but not event, everybody. But yeah, exactly. Not everybody. So like, you know, when the time comes, uh, t- TBD, uh, is all I'm saying, I guess. Right. To be A determined. Lot. It's all in flux. So from here, Lennon wishes to point out the distinction between made between socialism. Oh, sorry. Lennon wishes to point out the distinction angles made between socialism and communism. He claimed the political distinction between the lower and higher phases of communism will be tremendous. He sounds like Trump. Or at least mm, will, be appa- will be apparent with time. However, Lenin believes to recognize such a distinction at this moment in time, living in a pre-socialist society, at least from his opinion, would be ridiculous. I, yeah, I don't, yeah. I'm not exactly sure what he means. I, 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 quite frankly, in the context of the, of, the, of the section, it could mean a variety of things, but that's what he said. This first or lower phase of communist society is what Marx claims is usually meant when people say socialism. In the first phase of communist society, the means of production becoming the common property of all of society is to be expected. But, quote, provided we do not forget that this is not complete communism. This is true. Lenin is keen to point out how Marx did not offer any abstract a priori definitions as if they were received wisdom but rather used a materialist analysis to see how communism could develop out of a capitalist society. It's important to note that Marx and also Lenin and other socialist thinkers are not like some, they're not, they're not demigods. They're not, you know, infallible beings. They're just, they're just using their analysis and Marx is merely, and Lenin's quoting from Marx and Lenin himself also is just kind of developing what they thought a potential path could be. So it's important to kind of remember that too for those who are listening. Yeah, but according to them, it's a hard science. Well, it, you could still, well, the thing is, you could still analyze something scientifically and still arrive at a, a lot of different paths. That's a thing. As, That's as, true. As a man of science, there's a lot of different paths to get to the same thing. Hmm. True. In the first or lower phase of communism, such a society, quote, cannot as yet be fully mature economically and entirely free from traditions or vestiges of capitalism, end of quote. Because there will exist those who still remember what capitalism was, those who Mm. still believe in ways which would be beneficial in a capitalist society, but not in a communist one, those who imagine society and their relations to it in a completely capitalist formation and not a communist one. This is why Lenin says, quote, communism in its first phase retains the narrow horizon of bourgeois law. Of course, the bourgeois law in regards to the distribution of consumer goods inevitably presupposes the existence of the bourgeois state, for law is nothing without an apparatus capable of enforcing the observance of the rule of law. End of quote. So I think this is a little bit tied to the conversation we're having earlier. And Lenin talking about capitalism, but I would argue more, more broadly, class society that 
there are aspects that even if you do, you know, make socialize the means of production and make this such that all of society has ownership over the means of production, you still, I strongly believe, you will not be rid of a lot of things that would still prevent a class of society. Things mm. like homophobia, things like misogyny, yeah. things like racism. These are very, mm. xenophobia, these are very much real things that we must still, like, disentangle and reckon with, and I don't think it can happen just right away. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm of two minds about this, because... Yes, what you're saying makes sense, but also we can't underestimate the the speed at which struggles, these like world historical kinds of struggles, can change people. Oh, that's true. I, no, no denying that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think about my own like my own mother. She like say 15 years ago was an anti-black racist, and now she is very ashamed of the views that she used to have. Yeah. yeah. So it's like people can change, but. The matter of the fact is that, one, people will have to change, but then also, will, will they or will they not? And we have to reckon what happens when they don't. Yeah. And I think, and, a, yeah. I think a positive kind of interpretation of it is that, like, like we, we're only, like, allowing people to, like, um, realize that they are free, that they can be free, right? We're realizing, yeah. like, we're unlocking and unleashing, like, the true human potential. So yeah. these are things that, that have been placed on us by capitalism, by, like, class society, and really and truly, like, if we do away with class society, it doesn't mean necessarily that these problems will go away, but um, it, it'll be more conducive to getting rid of these problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, I don't really, I don't think, I mean, I have a positive view of humanity. I don't think people want to oppress each other, right? I don't think that's a natural kind of state of humanity. Obviously, mm-hmm. in our class society, some people do, but the goal is to, like, you know, unlock yeah. true human potential. Let us all be, like, the people that we can be, you know? Yeah, look yeah. at kids, for example. Kids, like, a lot of them don't really have this, this, this like, don't, don't really have, like, bigoted views. They, they learn them. Yeah. Mm. Well, as Nelson Mandela said, you know, to quote Nelson Mandela, uh, you know, children aren't born how to hate. Like, they're taught how to hate, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Famous, yeah. A famous quote used by Barack Obama. Yeah, famed oh, by our boy wow. Barack. <laughs> Wow, I should know that. We should both know that because we read his book. Oh, we read his uh, his book. Yeah, Jesus Christ, I can't believe you did that. <laughs> no, let me be clear. Nelson Mandela, he was black. Uh, I am black. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, his book is it's so. I mean, it's so diseased, but it's interesting, right? Because like us, he does not believe that uh, racism is an immutable fact of human uh, experience. Well, he, he has to believe that if he wanted to become president of the United States. A yeah, cynically deeply so. racist exactly. society. He, yeah. he thinks that, he thinks that um, you know, things can change for the better. But the way that they change for the better, in his mind, is this, like, you know, perfect technocracy with him in yeah. charge. Exactly, exactly. Just I mean, dif- if- different, different visions from the same starting point, once yeah. again. If if y'all want to listen, I don't know what episode number it is, but uh, we did we did it with Q um, um, from mm-hmm. Twitter that people may know, uh, writer from McLean's as well. Um, Good times, uh, my Good Canadian times. brother. So uh, check check that episode out. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I now, fucked up the sound, but it's still good. No, it's still good. <laughs> now Lennon claimed that there will be a temporary period of time where not only bourgeois law, but even the bourgeois state without the bourgeoisie will continue to exist under communism, albeit the first or lower phase. Oh, shit. Albe- Admittedly, he sees how this might seem like a conundrum. But, it does. quote, remnants of the old surviving in the new confront us in life at every step, 
both in nature mm. and in society. And Marx did not arbitrarily insert a scrap of bourgeois law into communism, but indicated what is economically and politically inevitable in a society emerging out of the womb of capitalism. End of mm. quote. What Lenin is suggesting here is that if a, if a capitalist society is emerging out of a capitalist society, then it will be Socialist no surprise. Society. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. You said a capitalist society is emerging out oh, of a capitalist sorry, society. Sorry, yeah. I meant to say, if, if a socialist society is emerging out of a capitalist society, then it will be no surprise there will be vestiges of the previous society in the beginning of this new society. Not unlike how in the beginning of capitalism there were, and there still are, to be quite honest, some vestiges of feudalism. Very much so, yeah. Like, he's not saying, like, it's a good thing. He's just saying, well, I mean... Like, people were alive after, from before the revolution, how society was before. It's not like people are just going to magically unlearn it right away. Just kind of yeah. what he's getting at. Maybe I this mean, is... it's, all, it's all his opinion, but... but uh, how, I mean, how can I you mean it makes that, sense like, on its own terms, for sure. Like, I mean, it's like, how else are you going to explain, like, it's a, there was a society that existed, then you changed governance, and then now you have this... People are not going to just like go about things from one day Again, to the next. I think uh, things are things are progressing faster than people realize. Shit is collapsing faster than people realize. And I think in the course of crisis and in the course of hopefully revolutionary struggle, people can be changed very quickly. And we've seen it before in history. And mm. I think we might see it again. And whatever whatever new forms emerge whether it is a transitional worker state or something else perhaps um it will it will be a product of capitalist society because mm -hmm. that is what laid the ground what will have laid the groundwork right. for it to emerge you know whatever traces are left um it might be it might look very different than what Lenin described a hundred years ago you know yeah, yeah i mean like Fundamentally, it's like we can't truly know, but anyway, before proceeding further as to how the bourgeois state and bourgeois law can be overcome, Lenin wants to return to a discussion on democracy and how this fits into the development of a communist society. I think this next section, personally, is a banger. We'll get to it. Mm. Right from the beginning, Lenin makes clear that democracy means equality. That's what he defines democracy as. It means equality. And if the proletariat struggle is for equality, then this mission is clear, quote, if we correctly interpret it as the meaning, uh, interpret it as meaning the abolition of classes, end of quote. However, democracy simply means equality in a formal sense, meaning there is an abstract ideal belief in equality, but this does not necessarily mean equality in a concrete and actual manifestation. In other words, quote, as soon as equality is achieved for all members of society in relation to ownership of the means of production, that is, equality of labor and wages, humanity will inevitably be confronted with the question of advancing further from formal equality to actual equality. In other words, mm -hmm. to the operation of the rule from each according to their ability to each according to their needs. End of quote. Now, Lenin wishes to make clear, we do not and cannot know, and he's, here's agreeing with Jamie, quote, by, what, by means of what practical measures humanity will proceed to the supreme aim, end of quote. But 
it is paramount for us to realize how this idea spread by the bourgeoisie that Socialism will be something, quote, lifeless, rigid, fixed, once and for all, end of quote, is totally wrong. This idea is totally wrong. In reality, quote, Lenin says, only socialism will be the beginning of a rapid, genuine, truly mass-forward movement embracing first the majority and then the whole of the population in all spheres of public and private life. End of quote. The beginning of a truly free humanity. Hmm. Lenin reminds us how, quote, democracy is of enormous importance to the working class in its struggle against the capitalist for its emancipation. End of quote. But democracy is merely one stage on the road to communism. We need more than merely democracy. According to Lenin, democracy is merely a form of the state or how you organize the state, where on the one hand, it represents, quote, the organized systematic use of force against persons, end of quote, and on the other hand, quote, signifies the formal recognition of equality of citizens, the equal right of all to determine the structure of and to administer the state, end of quote. This dialectic results in the necessity of a transitional period, the dictatorship of the proletariat, where the worker state is needed in order to wage a revolutionary struggle against capitalism and those who support and maintain such a system to allow for the further development of democracy. However, it would be remiss to not mention how the worker state is still a state machine nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Mm. Sidebar, uh, he equates a dictatorship of the proletariat with a worker state or, you know, a state here. And I think that is one thing that's sort of up for debate between anarchists who also believe in a dictatorship of the proletariat um, and, you know, more traditional Leninists. I mean, I've met anarchists that believe in a transitional state, too. So I, I don't yeah. there's not, there's not, there's I not mean, a believe all ki- They believe all kinds of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you. But like, yeah, a dick prole. I like to say it that way because it's a cool short way to say it. Um, it sounds cool. Dick prole. Um, dick prole could take a bunch of different forms, but for Lenin, it's very much tied up with the worker state. I mean, to be frank, an I mean, armed I, I, worker state too. I mean, to be to be frank, I mean, I think that what the Zapatistas are doing and the People's Republic of China are both manifestations of dictatorship of the proletariat. I am consistent, Jamie. I mean, <laughs> sure. The China question, not going to touch that one on this episode. Not this It one. would be way too long. No but dialogue maybe, on that, but I'm just expressing my opinion on it. Maybe mm-hmm. in a different episode. We will, and we'll, but, we'll think of some real-world examples. But, but it's to your point that, you know, I believe this, but it's to your point that it, I do sincerely also believe this, that it will, come, it, it will manifest in various different forms given the material and historical conditions of yeah. a certain society. True. True. Well, yeah. I mean, one the, the, the way that the Zapatistas are sort of organized and federated and do direct democracy, I think, is very different than something like uh, the Soviet Union, which had mm-hmm. a very centralized uh, system ruled by one party uh, that did not have as big an emphasis on uh, direct worker democracy as it progressed. Yeah. Well, nevertheless, but, you know, we will talk about this on many other lo- episodes. Lots, but. lots of different takes, lots of different versions. But once we have arrived and having such a degree of democracy, then this would imply, quote, 
overstepping the boundaries of bourgeois society and beginning its socialist reorganization. End of quote. What Lenin is suggesting here is if the entirety of society becomes so democratic where the administration of the state becomes is done by everybody, then, quote, capitalism cannot retain its hold, end of quote. A dialectical observation made is how the development of capitalism creates the preconditions for everyone to, quote, take part in the administration of the state, end of quote, because capitalism develops further by, quote, universal literacy, the training of disciplining of millions of workers mm. by the huge complex socialized apparatus of the postal service, railways, big factories, large-scale commerce, banking, etc., etc., end of quote. In truth, in furthering the development of capitalism, capitalists will have effectively trained workers to run all of society all on their own without needing their bosses. Like, Hell yeah. I, I, I really, can I just add that I really it. like, I really like this idea of the same way of breaking down um, the difference between or subsuming or resubsuming so work into social life, right? I, I really like the idea of like everyone kind of being becoming an administ uh, an administer of uh, I guess a communist state's duties, right? Like everybody like uh, uh, not only gets to participate but like knows what they're doing, you know, and has a meaningful say. I really like that a lot in in conjunction with like. Uh, subsuming work back into social life too, you know, breaking, I guess, uh, el eliminating the, the breaking down of, and the division of these two different things, you know, I like, I like that idea a lot. It, it makes me kind of feel like, like we are returning to a more natural state of humanity than the one we have now. Yeah, yeah for sure. And you know, this is kind of, this is, this is, we're, we're in this, we're in, we're in the midst of it, but this is kind this is the section that like we're a portion of the section where, I said earlier that Lenin agrees with you, Jamie, that essentially he is saying that because capitalists have trained all workers and have made, essentially capitalists have created the seed of their own destruction in that sense by, mm -hmm. by, but also by doing so, they have also cap a lot of workers will be able to, and I think this is a bit nuanced. I won't get into it, but I think this is also really only somewhat correct historically, but we won't get into it. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> I mean, like, not all societies that have been under the thumb of capitalists have workers been trained by, say, literacy. Think about Cuba. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think, I True. think, it, I think it's only somewhat correct. But I, th but well, Lenin was was, of course, only, you know, he was, a, he was a white man in Western Europe. You know, he was only responding to those conditions. He wasn't talking from someone who was in the col colonial South. Yeah, exactly. I because mean, because le having people learn how to read and write, like living in these other countries, I don't think that's conducive yeah. to like having them be right. like you know little automatons for like imperial right. countries, right? So so this this is also another aspect of like limitation of Lenin as well. Mm. I'm I'm like trying to figure out if you need to know how to read and write in order to run society. Yeah, you do. Like you, no, you probably <laughs> you probably you do, do. You definitely do. But like. But, like, maybe that's just my bourgeois programming, you know? Like, what do people do before the written word? I mean, I don't know. Like, the best example I could think of is, like, Frederick Douglass as a slave. Like, slaves, like, were explicitly, like, per like uh, they weren't permitted to read and write, you know? Yeah. And he had to teach himself how to do it because right. the minute that they started reading, especially, like, the parts of the Bible that they weren't uh, read, to, they weren't shown— they were like, oh, hold up. It means, like, I'm not supposed to be a slave. Like, I'm supposed right. to be free in the kingdom of God. You know what I mean? So it's like, I do think it's definitely important for, like, 
no. to people who are like I mean in like socialist states, right? The first thing that people do is right. like you 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 literacy programs, right? You make sure that people know how to read shit so that they can understand their own oppression, you know? See socialists yeah. are on the side of science, so that's why we care about everyone <laughs> being educated. Just trust exactly. the science, everybody. Exactly. It's true. No yeah. no child left behind, but the real the real one though, not the not I the real think- shit. I think you guys are great. Um, I'm not going to go full and prim and say that. <laughs> Just the throw out all fucking books. <laughs> when we invented language. Because um, I don't think we can go back there. You know, it might be nice, but we live in a modern world. I mean, look, unless there's just a fucking Posadist nuclear war. And Hell yeah. Hell we yeah. are and prim by necessity. You know, that's, um, what, you know, that's be dead. what I'm looking forward to, Jamie. Yeah. Creating communism in the ashes. Oh, yeah. Apocalyptic communism, man. Let's go. And Prim style. Oh, yeah. Well, you and Prim, those who are listening or whoever whoever it is, you, you are writing this. You're writing about your stuff. You're posting about it. Curious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should do an episode on anarcho-primitivism oh, though God. because it's more convincing than you expect it to be. I mean, at the rate- I mean listen, I've read Ted Kaczynski. Look at the rate that we're going, though. Like, I mean, I mean, maybe it's because I'm an apocalyptician. Like, you know, uh, not even a doomer. I'm just a person that thinks like uh, the way that we're going. Uh, that, that that might be something that we should uh, we should look into. You know, it's well, it's as likely as anything. Well, yeah. anyway, we're almost done, so let's continue going. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of episodes they could talk about. Um, I know get- we're just so excited to all be together, uh, the three of us. Oh, we yeah. just can't stop chatting. Given everything we have discussed in terms of economic preconditions, then it would be entirely possible after the capitalist and the bourgeois state's bureaucrats have been overthrown, quote, to proceed immediately, overnight, to replace them in the, con- in the control over production and distribution. In the work of keeping account of labor and products by the armed workers, by the whole of the armed population. End of quote. Essentially, since all the workers have been trained to use the means of production and distribute what has been p- produced previously, then they should be able to do so on their own because they have been, just not on behalf of themselves, the workers. Mm-hmm. After a proletarian revolution and the workers have taken the reins of society as a whole, Lenin points out how the main requirement for the smooth working of a common society during the first phase is accounting and control. It will be necessary for all capable citizens of such a society to be involved in the administration of the state. It will be necessary for all capable citizens to use their labor towards the development of a nationwide state-owned syndicate, or, you know, not to use that's a really old-timey word, but what we would call now a worker-managed enterprise or a cooperative, whatever you want to call it. Mm. It will be necessary for all of those people to work equally, do their proper share of work, and get equal pay. This is a quote by Lenin. Where will the means of being able to count and control the reproduction society come from? From capitalism, actually. The means to do so will, quote, have been simplified by capitalism to the utmost and reduced to the extraordinarily simple operations which any literate person can perform of supervising and recording knowledge of the four rules of arithmetic and issuing appropriate receipts, end of quote. In other words, in their pursuit of further increasing their potential labor pool, capitalists will have trained all their workers how to run society outright in such a way any worker will be useful in their labor in reproducing society. Now, yeah. I think this is somewhat correct. I think this is correct for almost the entirety of society. But to Jamie's point earlier, there are some, you know, and not to dunk on Lenin, I think 
society has developed significantly in the past hundred years, more so than yeah, any since, period in human history. Exactly, since he's been alive, exactly. But highly but, technical fields now. Right. So it's like much more I, so. And and I don't think it's like he just wouldn't have known. I think something um this reminds me of like a Bertrand Russell quote that's like he like Russian Russell was born around in the same decade as, as Lenin was. But of course Lenin didn't live as long as Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell mm-hmm. died in the fifties. And um no, like, I think he died like in the seventies actually. Um God, so he man. was like almost a hundred. But God damn. Near, but near the end of his life he said, Listen, like for those who did not live like the lifespan that I did, people do not appreciate how tremendously different the world was. Like the world was, things seemed like it would go forever and things have advanced. So like, when he was born, he said he, like people could not like, ra- tr- railroads were just starting, but by, and when this interview happened was like in the 50s, now we have nuclear weapons. Think about yeah. how significantly different society is. Yeah, think yeah, about like crazy. somebody who was born in the early 1900s. Like uh, my godmother, I think her mother was born in the early 1900s, ended up dying like about like 10 years ago or something like that, about mm-hmm. 15 years ago maybe. And it's like you know she grew up like where electricity, especially like you know in the islands, like didn't have electricity in every home, mm-hmm. right? Even in some parts in the United States, many parts in the U.S. to like you know like uh, like broadband, like high speed internet, you know, to see smartphones, yeah, to see smartphones and shit. And also, I wanted to bring up a point too about like capitalism uh, training the workers to like uh, essentially administer like the work themselves Um, I mean anybody I think who's ever worked any job especially if you've worked in like a restaurant right Um, whether you're working front of house or back of house um, you know damn well you and your coworkers that your boss your manager doesn't know shit right your boss I should say the owner right because the manager often front of house manager back house they are like in the they're in the trenches with you but I'm talking about whoever owns the spot right they don't fucking know anything right they just pop their head in there and they come around and they tell you like, oh, clean this, do that. But days when they're not there, not only do we function better, but we do that because we know what we're doing. You've tr- we can right. run the fucking store by ourselves, you know? Typically, a lot of workers do when the boss is not around because then yeah. who, uh, like you just do it. Yeah, you listening out there as a, as a shift manager or whatever, or even if you're not, like... You know, you, you might know. be listening to his podcast on a shift right and, now. And, and your boss is not there. You are administering all that work without your boss being there. You don't fucking need him. They yeah. they had a good video uh, about this that Street Fight did, I think. I think mm. it was a Beans TV thing. Just like highlighting how the lowest paid people typically do the most work or the most important work. And then as you go up the scale... To like the fucking CEO, mm-hmm. they get paid the most and they do basically nothing. nothing. Right. It's inverted, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly. Makes you yeah. think. Yeah, makes you think. Yeah. So we're almost done. So we're mm-hmm. gonna get to it. Lena mm-hmm. describes how once quote the majority of the people end of quote will perform the, the labor necessary to reproduce society at large independently, very important part independently, and throughout the entire society, while. Maintaining control over the capitalist and those who perpetuate capitalist through habit, then socialism will have become a universal state. This is a quote by Lenin. This is a really, really good one. The whole of society will have become a single office in a single factory, and there will be nowhere to go. Mm. However, Lenin makes clear that such factory discipline, his words, the proletariat will have extended to the whole of society, quote, is by no means our ideal or our ultimate goal, end quote. Such discipline and work ethic is merely, quote, a necessary step for thoroughly cleansing society of all the infamies 
and abominations of capitalist exploitation and for further progress. End of quote. We will have to work really hard even after revolution. A revolution is easy. The process of creating socialism is what will be difficult. Oh, well, not mm. socialism, but communism. Once this, and just last thing, and yeah, then we can yeah, do more discussion. Yeah, yeah. Before, I, before I keep cutting you off, yeah, go ahead, finish. <laughs> Once this moment has occurred, where all the cap, where all the capable citizens of a communist society, or at least the vast majority, this is a quote by Lenin, have done everything we have described, Lenin believes, quote, the need for a government of any kind begins to disappear altogether, end of quote. Since democracy has become so complete, it becomes unnecessary altogether. To call it democracy would not even make any sense because no one is even going through the motions because everyone just does it. The yeah, why would you need democracy, exactly? Right, exactly. So the simplicity of a society where from each according to their ability to each according to their needs will become so predominant that those who may perhaps choose to escape this proto-communism will simply follow such a fundamental law of the community by habit. Only once this has occurred, and this is the last line of the, of the chapter, quote, then the door will be thrown wide open for the transition from the first phase of communist society to its higher phase, and with it to the complete withering away of the state. End of quote. So that's the end TBD. of my section. TBD. TBD. See you later, state. <laughs> Jamie, let me ask you a question. Do you think so? Uh, as Jorge was like finishing up, I was thinking like maybe this is like uh, like part of the issue that you have, and like tell me if I'm wrong, but this is the way I kind of conceived it too. It kind of sounds like he's saying that we need to lean into more of sort of like the um, sort of the the function sort of or the apparatus of the state, right? The capitalist state in order to free ourselves from it, right? Mm -hmm. But instead, we would expand, as he says, like a worldwide factory. And I could see how that's, like, problematic because the whole point of why we're striving for this and towards this is because we don't want to fucking work at all, right? We don't want to be in this transitional stage where possibly, right, and maybe we do later episodes on this, but we get locked into this first stage, right, that then becomes our lower stage, that then becomes perverted, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think that's I can see like your uh, I can see like your contention with that because it's like, OK, we don't know how long this first stage is going to last. And there are certain conditions that have to be met. But how can we assure that those conditions are going to be met? Right. I, I will, uh, say, yeah. I will yeah. say there's an important part. He does mention that like I kind of said at the mm-hmm. end, which is like mm-hmm. he is kind of adding like this um, little room, so to speak, of like. You know, suppose that revolution happens in a country and say it doesn't happen everywhere. Um, I don't think it will. I am very strongly in the camp that it just won't happen all at once in terms of revolution. It will happen. It almost did already. How will it almost did? When did it happen? Um, The wave of revolutions spread across Europe. That was Europe, not the whole world. Yeah, but it was going. I mean, it, who knows? Who knows well, how far U- it could have fucking gone? Well, but the, the point is, ahead, we've Jamie, seen glimpses of what that might look like yeah, in but history. The, the U.S. is such a weird case, and this is why, I like, you know, I'm always like, I'm always like, yo, the Western left is like cooked, yo. Like, we're cooked, man. It's gonna happen in Asia. It's gonna happen in Africa. It's gonna happen in like Latin America, you know. But I don't know, man. Like, it's like this whole kind of worldwide, like, spontaneous. It's like the the sort of the sort of uh, what's the way what's the word I can call say I guess the sort of conditioning and the cultural hegemony that exists specifically in the United States, right? Um, I don't know that that kind of like brainwashing to use that term I guess is so 
it seems so incredibly hard for people to shake off where people in other countries are so much more ready to do that. But, Jamie, to be dialectical to your point, um, people are capable of amazing things in times of, uh, in difficult times. So, I uh, mean, look. TBD, you know. Look, I mean, I'm very heartened by the fact that, um, like, okay, I went to a talk by some Atlanta comrades when I was in Mexico City, Mm. and they made a very interesting point, which is, uh, the tactics that become like the most advanced tactics, shall we say, or the most militant tactics in one cycle of struggle become commonplace in the next. Um, and they showed as an example, like a small group of people blocking a road during um, so the first wave of Black Lives Matter. And then uh, like 10 times as many people doing the same thing during the George Floyd uprising, which happened in every single state. Um, so I thought that was pretty inspiring the way these struggles grow and compound and each one sort of <coughs> starts back up again at the highest level of the last one. Yeah. Um, it's like a save game. It's like a save yeah. game, man. Like you play Pokemon or, you know, Legend of Zelda, you save a game and you can jump right back in, you know? Yeah. You can. I think you can on sub level. And we've seen, you know, not just in the U S but like they had a full on insurrection in Kazakhstan not that long ago, mm. um, that was only put down when the Russian army intervened. They had a full-on commune in Sudan that I really want to learn more about. Uh, but it seems, and, and, and if you look at, like, somebody, like, tabulated the amount of uprisings that have been happening per year, and it's accelerating. So I really believe, as crazy as it sounds, that a wave of, rev- a wave of proletarian revolutions sweeping across the world... Um, is possible. No, I believe that, and it has happened historically. My point is more about all one hundred percent of them being successful all at once. That's my point. Mm. It's uh, like well, yeah. no one thinks that that's going to happen. Right, but, but my, my, I my, mean, my point, my point being, but I think well, they could to, happen to, in pro, in close proximity. But my, Wait, my point, my, my point to this wait, is like sorry, going word. to the to, mm. going to the text. My point with bringing it up is like. Mm. When capitalism still exists in the world, you know, there's an imperfect amount of people who say socialist states that exist and all of that. Mm -hmm. Like you must also account for the fact that, you know, they have to then also overcome that in a global scale, too. So it's like that. That is, I think, partially at what like I think Len is kind of getting at. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. until there is like I think we talked about this in the previous episode when we talked about dictatorship. We kind of mentioned like an end of an episode when we mentioned dictatorship of the proletariat. It must happen globally for then us then to re- truly be intentionally developing it in a in a global context. Because on, so long as like there is a force that, uh, 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 you know, a organized force of people with arms who are interested in uh, how do I say it, like ensuring that capitalism persists, then hmm. it, we cannot be truly like let our guard down. Um, I wanted to say, though, uh, you know, like, I think that, like, like the way that capitalism sort of, especially, um, I think, in the 80s, 70s and the 80s, like, neoliberalism particularly, especially after the fall of the Soviet Union, the way that it sort of spread across the entire globe, you know, yep. like, this financialization, austerity, um, you know, all of these kind of hallmarks, global globalization, that's what it was, these hallmarks of neoliberalism, um, it's, that's why, I guess... You know, they really have... You know who escaped? You know what country on earth, post-Soviet Union, the one country that escaped economic shock and neo- like, the economic shock of neoliberalism? Who? What country? Guess. I don't know. China. 
China. Oh I yeah, you were gonna fucking say but, that. Like, well, well, see, that's the thing, though, right? It's like sort like of they like, survived. They were the one that did know. not get an economic shock in the way that Eastern European country and many other Asian countries, quite mm. frankly. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like that's that's I guess what I'm saying, right? It's just sort of like we have to have this. It's it's hard to think about it, but we have to kind of have this kind of total totalitizing vision, right, and project because they did it. Yeah. You know, they did. It. I mean, yeah. the, granted, they had like vast resources that have like hitherto been unseen by any other class or any other kind of society in their particular aims, but it's not impossible for us to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think I, Oh God, I, I hate to keep going back to the, the state thing. Cause uh, I feel like, uh, I talked about it already, but I feel like I have some remarks that maybe will sum it up for, for everybody who's mm-hmm. still not sure what I think about this. Sure. So, okay. It seems like this debate here between sort of state and anti-state communists is often like, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like, according to Lenin, this dictatorship of the proletariat has to take the form of a state, which, you know, he defines it a few different ways, but whatever. Um, and it's the job of the state, um, this new worker state, which, you know, he describes as being... Uh, controlled by the workers. He doesn't really say who's formally in charge, but mm. it turned out to be him in this case. I mean, look, <laughs> he, he, he put in the rise and grind to make to make the rev happened. Then my boy, uh-huh. then, you know, let my boy, let my boy shine, man. Let him get it. Spoiler alert. <laughs> let, him, let him get it. It's yep. me. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he thinks it's the job of the state to sort of train. And uh, look, a lot of my opinions on this, too, is colored by what happened later. And yes, which he couldn't, which he couldn't to, have known. Yeah, which he couldn't to, have known. It, so it's it's pretty impossible for me to treat this just as pure theory because my skepticism is very much colored by what happened later. And mm-hmm. if I had been alive at the time, I probably would have been like, "Yeah, right on. You're right about everything, Lenin." Um, but exactly. now I'm more skeptical um, based on you know things we've seen in history. But he, so okay, he's like, it's the job of the state to train the workers to sort of run things on their own. Until one unspecified day in the future when the training wheels can come off and then you can have communism, right? So now these anti-state, anti-state types are like, okay, this is impossible uh, because the form of the revolution and the dictatorship of the proletariat are going to determine what's possible down the line in the future. So maybe that this is maybe this is a bottleneck you'll never get out of, right? If mm-hmm. if this layer of state bureaucrats are just running things from the start, then who's to who's to say that it's ever going to stop necessarily? Yeah. Uh, who's to say that the state well, is going to actually I, wither away? Well, um, I think can I can I go for it before you go? Can I add to Jamie? I think to bolster your point, I think that I I agree with that. I mean, not only have we seen it borne out in history. But even like thinking about it in the if people have to kind of shear off these vestiges, right, of of capitalism, right, of a, of a bureaucratic state. Right. Um, that's not going to happen right away. Right. And people are going to be very concerned with their own personal lives and the lives of their families. And they're going to be willing to do things and maintain certain positions in order to continue this. Right. So it's kind of very difficult to like. I mean, that's why it's it's as much an economic shift as a shift in social consciousness, right? For people mm-hmm. to not, like, kind of want to, like, climb over each other and be like crabs in a barrel, right, in order to maintain some social position to feed themselves and their families, yeah. you know? But, Jorge, you yeah. wanted to say something, too, or, Jamie, you want to... I mean, I just wanted to say that I think that, you know, that's a very fair point, but I think this this 
this the argument I think is actually lacking of imagination because mm. I think that you know something that you said earlier to, like in this episode Jamie it's like well I mean sure but then somehow things that seem like would, would go on forever ended people broke mm. rose up or pushed back what have you there's no reason to believe that just because things are going fine doesn't mean people are like well we want to get rid of this too like there's no there's no reason to believe people won't think that as well because mm. something something that is true about humanity is that we're continually changing and innovating yeah i mean i agree yeah. with you um but wouldn't it be nice if you didn't need to have a second revolution to take down this allegedly if socialist could, state if we think you just have like the one if we could do like the contra like cheat code or whatever it is and we would like automatically skip that step you know? I think like the, more I think, than more than one is it's a, it's a lot, you know. I'm I'm down. You can put me down for one. After that, I don't know if I I'm mean, gonna have. That I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be you who does it. That's a thing. I, I would argue it's something that's like way later later on that people descendants will be thinking about that. But you know, I think that there is nothing to suggest that there will not be further in and in, 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 uh, in, in, there will not be multiple revolutions in a in a socialist in a global socialist world because mm. you know something that is like I, I would argue a fundamental aspect of humanity is that that makes it different from animals is that it is revolutionary it is a revolutionary animal. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we have to revolt have is a to lot be human. Of things. We have a lot of things going on that animals don't have. Uh, we also have a lot of things going on that animals do have um i mean capitalism was itself a revolution some, some, everything exactly, in society exactly. was an outcome of a revolution that revolution is a fundamental i mean that's what marx said is the locomotive of history i mean that might end up being how it has to go if uh we don't have our you know grand sweeping revolutions sweeping across the world within a generation not necessarily at the exact same time but you know mm. within within a human lifespan let's say mm. um sure. but but what i keep coming back to is um like people's freedom and people's control over their own lives right mm. he talks a lot about democracy but not as much about democracy in terms of people's control over their day-to-day -day lives um, which I think is really, really important because, as you say, you know, human beings, they they revolt, they push back when mm -hmm. they're being when they're being bossed around or when they're not happy. I mean, like, OK, so Lenin speaks a lot here about what's practical or achievable. But uh, I really think a world without this drudgery of wage labor and even without this step where you, you know, you still have to go to work, but now your boss is the party or the state or whatever. I, I think this vision, this thing that I thought communism was about before I like read the history <laughs> and learned what actually happened and what Lenin and a lot of communists actually believe in. I think this holds a lot more potential appeal for the average worker um, than, okay, you have to sign up and maybe die for this thing. And at the end of it, if you're still alive, you still have to punch a clock every day and hope that maybe someday your grandchildren will be free of this drudgery. Mm. Right. Like, I feel like on some level, it's more practical to have something that would improve people's lives drastically and within their lifetimes, because you got to get people to sign up 
You got to get people to sign on. I know it's not purely a matter of persuasion, but we do have to get a lot more people on our side than are currently. Mm. And that still would be sort of a scientific progression out of capitalism, right? Because capitalism will have laid the preconditions for any of this to happen. So I'm going to push yeah. back a little bit, but not, not, not for what you might necessarily think. I think the point where you said that people may not sign up for things because maybe maybe their descendants might. I think that is like a, I find that it's like a strain of thinking that well, what about me right now is a strain that is very common in Western thought, but not necessarily mm -hmm. shared outside of it. Because if you ask many people who come from outside of the West in terms of like, like especially you know, for example, the United States, but many places like that idea is ingrained in terms of the culture that you do turn things because of, the thinking of the future people that come after you. It's like, I mean, I mean, also, I, can I, can I feel I, like people uh, can care about the people that come after them at the same time that they care about themselves. No. Oh, I mean, that's true. But I mean, that's I'm true, saying I, I, I well, go, go, go ahead. Aaron. No, I think, I think to Jorge's point, I think that like sort of, I, I, so our task is sort of like to, to, uh, explain like these historical processes to people, right? Um, and, and whatever ways are, uh, uh, maybe it's not a podcast is the best, but if you're talking to a coworker or if you're talking to your neighbor, right? Sort of explaining these ideas. But I think that like we have to sort of solidify like this investment in a process, you know, like this is process mm -hmm. is going to happen anyway, right? This is something to be invested in for the long term. And I think people will be less likely especially if they're thinking about the future, their future generations or their, the lives of like their kids, I think people will already like be with it. You know what I'm saying? For the goals and aspirations. It's a biological process to worry yeah, about. They're, exactly. And people kind of understand that this is to be some, this is something to be in it for the long haul. Uh, instead of sort of like, as we were talking about before, instead of sort of like, and I get what you're saying, Jamie, see, I'm of two minds. Cause mm -hmm. I get it. It's like, why tell people that, Hey, you have to wait. Right. You have to wait for this thing and you have to continue to do the things that you hate doing and want to run, want to run away from. But at the same time, also explain to people that this is a process and it's not going to happen overnight. You know, on, on, the, on the flip oh. side, though, on the flip side, it is important to remember that a lot of people, how they're living their lives in terms of wage labor, even the idea of like getting an equal uh uh, getting like their like their like the, what the, uh, the share of what they're putting in, and then mm -hmm. having like certain things that they were not granted to them, to them that's an enormous change in their lives in terms of their own yeah, like social. So I think I, so. In that sense, I would say that what what do you mean that they're waiting? They're getting something now. Yeah, well, I mean yeah. this man this has manifested in a lot of different ways through history, mm -hmm. uh, which is why we're a history and theory podcast because. <laughs> We can we can go back and forth about this, but then we need to look at some real world examples. That's but, true. Um, exactly. Like I I would be okay with still having to still I don't have a fucking job. Um, so let's <laughs> pretend that I do. Uh, I would be okay with still having to go to work, but now it's for the state or whatever. If but I mean, I you could be a podcaster, but for the sure. state, you could be podcast. You could be a you could be a broadcaster yeah. for the for the for the for, Dude, the, for the for the proletarian to to say why you must love, change. I would love to be an organ of the party see? instead see? of just an see? atomized Patreon. Um, see? But. Yeah, but like if I thought that to each according to their ability. If I thought that communism was definitely going to happen, 
at the end of it. But unfortunately, not if you don't put I'm the work com- in. Nobody wants to put. A, no one wants to work anymore. <laughs> I mean, true, true fact. Um, fuck work. Work sucks. Um, Never work. But. But like, yeah, I I think that could very much be like this this transitional worker state, even if it never gets to communism, could be an improvement over what we had before. Oh, it would it would but, totally be an improvement. But but is it is it going to lead to communism or is it going to lead to definitely not communism and yeah. failure and sadness and the uh, the destruction of the of the socialist project? I don't know. Twentieth century well, says. Maybe. I will say one thing in defense for those failures, and I'm going to defend it for one reason. It was the first time in human history where those that were on below were given the chance, or at least partially so, to start trying to make their own destiny. And guess what? Yeah, they also have the right to fail. Absolutely. And you know what, too? It's like, I think as well, um, and uh, man, I wish I could remember because the book is sitting in front of me here. I have um, parentheses, black shirts and reds. And it kind of talks about, you know, these anti-communist like leftists, right, um, who will talk all about the failures of um, socialist countries. But they never actually acknowledge that, well, of course, there were failure, failures, but there were also successes. And as you were saying before, Jamie, the way that the cumulative way that people adopt tactics, right, that um, other people or other organizers, other people yep. resisted used earlier, I think you have to say the same thing about socialist countries, right? Like, yeah. you can't in one broad brush, brush and be, let's say, that this is bad, and none of us here do that, right? But you also, you shouldn't, you should be critical, right? But you also, yeah. also should take those successes and find a way to either learn from them and kind of implement them in whatever way you can in your own country, because... This is not like a one size fits all kind of thing, right. but like it's a process, right? I mean, like, like the some of the the Soviet Union, for example, like you know, yeah. in China, lifting like millions and tens of millions of people out of poverty. The fact that the Soviet Union went to like hundreds went of millions, actually, hundreds of millions, actually, sorry, went to like a, from from a backwater like peasant state to like fucking like you know putting a man in space within the span of somebody's lifetime is, like, insane, you know? Yeah. Absolutely insane. I would never deny that that is cool. I just don't know if it's part of the road to communism, and it might only be possible to know in retrospect. I think it would only be possible in retrospect. Floating orbs, having a really good time. Exactly. Yeah. With our gay space luxury communism. Yeah, and I... Definitely people should be trying things. And I I would never say... Not to try things. I think something to your point about the anti-work politics, you know, I, I to myself and those who are listening, to the, who, mm. for those who don't know me, I'm actually, I'm quite sympathetic to anti-work politics, but I think it's important to remember that, one, anti-work politics are kind of not exactly what it sounds like, as people like might, might think, mm. but also... Um, really what it is, from my perspective, anti-work politics is, is, is expressing the necessity that there is something outside of labor. And like mm-hmm. in the sense of like leisure is very much something real. If you look at anthropologists studying, say, non-capitalist societies, like, you know, tribal societies, many, many of these anthropologists were very, were bewildered. Well, bewildered because, you know, they come from capitalist societies, but they were kind of surprised that the number one most common thing people did in these tribal societies was doing nothing. Like straight <laughs> up, ju- yeah. just, just vibing. Chilling. 
Just I mean, what them. are you doing when you're doing nothing? I'd say you're doing something pretty important. Right. And, exactly. and, and, but like, I don't think they conceived of leisure time mm-hmm. in the same way that we do. Right. When we're all like on the clock from nine to five. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I think another thing, too, is, um, you know, it, it's it, to the point regarding anti-work politics, but then also, uh, you know, pointing to history, but then also other things that are remiss, like, say, I think a very good example is, you know, women's rights and also homophobia if you look at say the soviet union why is it that the soviet union was the only is the only country on earth where uh women had to win the uh right for a uh pro- right to work to, ab- to have an abortion twice mm. right mm. but but i think it's tied to this idea you're you're saying earlier jamie that like sometimes the most radical uh, or, or most expansionist politics of the previous wave of struggle, it becomes the norm. And the later one, I mean, if you look at, say, East Germany, for instance, East Germany, uh, something that was like part of like accepted society was that homosexuality is a natural human behavior. And mm-hmm. there was not even a question about that. But you will not necessarily believe that would be something that, that would be the case if you look at, say, how the early Soviet Union treated homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, and also like looking at, say, you know, Contemporary example, China. It's like the the um, the queer app that people use for dating is the largest subscriber base of any of those apps in the world. And it, uh, but and, and there's also more people in China, right? But yeah, the I mean, thing clearly, is, yeah, but, they, but, you, but yeah. But if they were against it, they would they would just ban exactly. it. Exactly. That's what I was. That's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. I mean, like, um, I don't know, man. Like, well, yeah, I'm sure Chi- yeah. China takes a lot from the Soviet Union, right? So it makes sense that mm-hmm. it would be. Uh, secular and progressive in many ways yeah much more so than the united states <laughs> of course <laughs> which, which which what we're going through now is insane but um yeah they're trying to, they're they're trying to keep trans kids from using the bathroom in what year is it fucking 2022 jesus christ yeah no but yeah the the which the vanguard of that movement is future president of the united states congresswoman marjorie taylor green Oh yeah. yeah, we're gonna do an episode on her. But yeah, um, my girl. But I think we're kind of just like just just petering it out. I think we should end the episode, don't you think? Yeah. yeah well, I was just gonna say one more thing about anti-work sure. politics, mm. um, because I think at the time Lenin was writing uh, and the place he was writing, they really had to genuinely, legitimately had to do a lot of fucking work to build up the productive forces mm-hmm. and industrialize what was basically still a feudal backwater. Um, it probably would have gone differently if England or Germany had succeeded in their revolutions, but they didn't. Um, I and, think now and if the United States wasn't like fucking around so much, man. Yeah. Well, that's, that's always, when is that not going to be? Yeah. The that's, case? Oh, that's a the United given States anyway. Yeah. Always going to be fucking around until someone, you know, stops it, does something about it. Um, we're working on it, but, um, I think Depend, depending on the place and the international scope of the rev, um, it's very possible that the next time around, um, the productive forces and building them up will not be such a primary concern, right? Because the world has quite a lot of factories to the point where we're like saturated with consumer goods. Um, we solved the agrarian question uh, a while ago, like the amount of farming. Yeah, like with the agrarian Ameri- revolution. 
the amount of farming, the amount of farmers, the amount of people who have to be actively engaged in farming in order to feed everybody has gone way, 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 way down mm. since then. So I think these are some, just some of the things that will sort of free us up to think in a more expansive way and a more, shall I say, leisurely way about um, abolishing work. On the flip side, I will say that that is true in a global capitalist society. I will say that to throw a wrench into this, we have to live in a very much different sustainable way of living. So that will require the preeminence of local development and production that which mm. we, we are not currently able to be doing in a global scale. Mm-hmm. Mm. 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 Well, I'm going to think about that one. Yeah. But, but until next time, do the reading. Do the reading. Oh, wow. We're, we're do really it. done now, huh? You really just fucking tied a little bow on it. <laughs> All right. It's like, it's been almost two hours. I'm Jorge fucking wins. done. Jorge wins. No, oh. that's good. You're the fucking showrunner. I like right. it. Also, I'm, again, I'm happy to be back, y'all. And uh, next week, this this Yay. episode, I guess I just kind of sat in and just, uh, you know, gave my little uh, uh, insights here and there. But uh, next week, we're going to be doing uh, chapter six. And I think there are three parts. So yeah. uh, Sure are. Don't you love it that this book is so fucking long that you can start it with me, leave the podcast, <laughs> yes, and, and then come back and, and finish it? it? Hell yeah, dude! Hell yeah! Because yeah. then, uh, and then it's like it's too. like Michael coming back for that season of the Bulls. Exactly. Well, no, not the Wizards. No, not the Wizards season, bro. Chill out. Oh, this, what, this, is, this, is the, this is the second. Con- this is the second return, man. You're killing the first return. The second. No, the second three. Oh, the first no one. The, the first one. Sorry. The, uh, this is the second. The first three, and right? only one. The first and only one. Exactly. The second oh, three piece. What we're talking about. Sorry, Jamie. You know you don't anything about basketball. But neither I really do no I. I just like Michael Jordan a lot. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. See, you used his first name, and I was confused. I'm like Michael who? Yeah, Michael Jordan. <laughs> Michael Tracy? Michael what? Tracy? Yeah. Oh, God. Well, anyway. Oh, no. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh, no. No, 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 no. You say it three times. You have tears. Be careful. Chill. <laughs> uh, all right. Wow. Well, are we out? Are think, we out of here? I think we're done now. I yeah. think we're done. It's finished. Bye. 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 Mm-hmm.